Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Netflix Roulette. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on this episode of Movie Go Round, Nicole Davis. How are you? I'm well today. It's uh, it rained heavily today and washed the pollen out of the air temporarily. So I was actually, you know, able to rub my own eyes and <laughs> like breathe properly, and that was that was a nice change. That's a nice change. I honestly think that if I hadn't had five, six years of shots, we wouldn't be making a podcast right now because this is the kind of weather <laughs> where I'd be sniffling and I wouldn't be able to breathe. It would be a mess. I feel for everybody with allergies. David Luzader, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm still a little bit upset at the person uh, who I allowed on my island on Animal Crossing yesterday that stole from me. Um, <gasps> Yeah, well, they didn't. They didn't steal from me. They stole from my girlfriend, technically, and I. Man, real pissed about it. And didn't you open up like an olive branch to everybody, saying, "Come, their turnips." Yeah, I I opened up on Turnip Exchange, allowed people to come sell because I was having a big spike, and one person uh, took advantage of my kindness to steal. Ugh, the nerve. Alrighty, well, this week, Netflix Roulette is where we spin a wheel, and I do want to reiterate, this is the second time around where we have included Amazon Prime Instant Video in this. We're still calling it Netflix Roulette, but we do think that Amazon is ubiquitous enough where if you have Netflix, you probably have Amazon, you probably have one of the two. So hopefully that broadens our pool of potential picks a little bit easier uh, and really broadens it more. So this week, however is still a Netflix pick. You can find it on Netflix. It's a Netflix original, or at least they acquired it. Um, before I announce this pick, let's go ahead and talk about next week's movie, David Future Classics. It's a movie that has yes. come out in the last decade that you are going to make a case for next week. What are we watching? Okay, so I'm picking a movie, and I, and I struggle with picking this because it seems like a no-brainer, and it's kind of fun when we bring stuff where you kind of have to... I guess push for it a little bit. It, you know, the ones that make people go, "Huh, I hadn't really considered that." But gosh, this movie is so beautiful, and it's it's so wonderful. And I uh, was convinced it was going to be nominated for an Oscar in 2017, and it wasn't. So because it was slightly robbed, uh, I guess 2018 because the movie came out in 2017. Uh, I just I want us to talk about Coco. And I think that uh, Coco needs just more love in general because, dang it, everyone's got to see that movie. Oh, All right, I gotta buy more so tissues happy. this week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fun <laughs> aside, I mean, for... seriously. Warning to people who who are gonna watch who watch along with us: buy buy lots of tissues. There's going to be ugly crying. <laughs> and it's on Netflix, so it, at least as of recording, it's pretty accessible and. It might even be on Disney Plus. I don't know, but it's on Netflix. Very good. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Alrighty. Well, this week, now we watched an international film because that's what came up on Netflix Roulette, but it is Netflix Roulette, not around the world. We watched Mokalik in Lagos, in Lagos, Nigeria. I got two words in. In Lagos, Nigeria, a preteen boy from a well-off family has lost the will to study. In the morning, his father drops him off at a mechanic's village to begin an apprenticeship to see what vocational training is like. He also witnesses a lot of life's dramas and comedies that he's never been exposed to before. Over the course of the day, his sharp mind and curiosity will prove his value to the mechanics. But will the mechanics prove their value to him? This was... A Nigerian film. I believe it's our first time on any category of movie go round that we've seen a Nigerian film. Uh, Nicole, I believe they call their films Nollywood, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, Nigeria and Lagos in particular, but Nigeria has a thriving film industry. So um, I'm excited to, you know, get get started diving into the 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 pool. Absolutely. So. What I first want to do here is figure out the the main character's name, uh, <laughs> because I noticed in the movie, and I couldn't tell if it was a nickname or not, that he's, his name is Pawnmeal, but then they call him Pawnlee sometimes. Is that supposed to be yeah, a nickname? 
I would assume so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think like all the characters were shown to like mostly be referred to by their nicknames while they were working in the village because there's that conversation towards the end um where there's the he's talking to the uh the one guy he's like why you know why'd you call him this and everyone calls him that and he's like well it's because i'm his father and like that's why i call him by his real name but everyone else calls him this name i can't i wish i could remember names from this movie i'm not <laughs> going to be able to and i don't want to like horribly butcher them so i'm I, I i apologize yeah and there wasn't any explanation of that either he's like oh yeah that's my son's real name and doesn't explain why he got his nickname uh mm-hmm. I digress. Yeah. It, it may be self-evident if you know the language, which we right. do not. So. And true. that's what I wanted to ask your guys' opinions about, is there's some dialogue in this movie that in English subtitles feels a little bit clunky, and I can't mm-hmm. tell if it's just some parts aren't written as well as others, or if there is a translation, lost in translation thing happening with with the language spoken in this film because like they they dart in and out of pieces of english but it's primarily not an english film it's uh here's here's what it is is they basically hired the cheapest translators they could and those people just translated it probably more or less word for word and they did not do a localization of it which is like let's make this make sense in english uh so that's there were definitely some times especially towards the beginning where i was like what? Why? What? Why are they talking like that? Like, or why is like the why is the translation like that? But probably it's because it's just literally, like that's what the sentence would be in English. What about you, Nicole? What do you think of that? I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with David. Yeah. Also, I think there's some there are absolutely some cultural references that we're missing. Um, mm. There's probably some words that didn't get translated at all into English. Um, perhaps I, I wasn't sure there's that one character, uh, who works with the, the apprentice for the auto electrician, um, who gets into fights a lot mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, he fights a lot and rolls around in the dust. And that's why he has this nickname. And it's like, I don't know if the nickname <laughs> right. is like the name of a fighter. Like if it's the name of a boxer or if it's the name of like some, animal that's known for rolling around in the dust or mm-hmm. you know what it might be but it never it didn't get it it wasn't a concept that was explained in such a way that someone who is not from nigeria would get it right because for me the character in particular that seemed to have maybe that localization that that david mentioned having been lost was uh there's they call him obama because he uh, ah, yes. he went he went he 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 immigrated to the U.S. Uh, under President Obama and then got deported under President Trump. So they call him Obama, uh, jokingly, kind of prodding him for getting deported, I suppose. And and also his like his love of he remind the way he talks about the U.S. to everyone around him reminds me of the way the characters talked about the U.S. in the. Um, Indian film I brought for around the world many cycles mm-hmm. ago, um, Fosque Ray Obama, where he's like, oh, yes, I saw 30 Bugattis a day. And I'm like, where were you living? <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> Beverly Hills, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but his character has a lot of those, like, he keeps saying, like, you're ignorant. Everyone's ignorant. Such ignorance. And I almost had trouble believing he was saying the word ignorant. I think I think there was a different translation there for saying, like, you guys are idiots. And that's just how it was translated back to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was like something like you, you're you suffering from ignorance. Exactly. As if it's an ailment. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I should start I, saying that to people more often. I kind of like that. You are <laughs> suffering from ignorance. <laughs> It, you could really get a That's lot of true. mileage out of that nowadays, too. Yeah, you yeah. should. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll jump right in here. Um, my, my first discussion topic that I wanted to bring up is I, I typically fault a film like this for a lack of direction or plot. Uh, there was definitely a point at the halfway mark where I forgot that this wasn't a documentary and that this was supposed to be a narrative because at times it feels documentary-esque. Um, and... I was totally okay with that in this particular setting because the setting was so foreign to me. This mechanics village, which I did not know a setting like this existed in real life, and it's very much a thing in Nigeria, um, was so fascinating to me 
that the slice of life, the day in the life approach, like it worked, like it worked really well, better than it normally does for me in movies. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not usually a fan myself of the, of the one day uh, movies where everything takes place in, you know, either during daylight hours or 24 hours and, you know, someone grows and learns and learns, you know, gets a lesson by the end or, you know, something, something really significant shifts in the main character as a result of their experiences that Which one this day. does. <laughs> yeah, oh, of course. Yeah. No, this is, this is one of those movies where it's, <laughs> when I got to the end of it, I'm like, that was a nice movie. Yes. You know? It's the it's kind cute. of movie you can watch with your parents. <laughs> yeah yeah that was more or less my reaction to it like oh, I, I cued in like a little bit in like i think i was 30 minutes in and i had to go pause to do something i'm like oh there's no conflict like i mean there's like a you know there's people fight over who stole a spanner uh well and a girl but yeah. as, aside from that like that's not even like a major par- part of the plot that's just kind of like incidental because we're just following this kid around as he goes to different people and gets a view into like well i do this with the cars and i have this moment happen and it's very like very episodic almost where each time he's with somebody, he's there with them for like 15, 20 minutes. And there's like a little bit of thread carrying through. But as Nicole said, I got to the end of it. I'm like, Oh, that was nice. Like I, I did, I did decent enough time watching that. I would have a hard time maybe, uh, maybe like recommending it to people kind of for that reason. But I do think I also know a lot of people who would enjoy it because of, as you said, like the view it gave into a world that to us as, Americans is very foreign. Yeah. For, for me, I, I was reading all about how the director had had a vintage car serviced in Nigeria at a real mechanics village um, for which he really did not have any experience with prior. They ended up shooting it at that village. This is not on any sort of set. Um, and just one of the things that really struck me as interesting was like, you know, it touches very briefly on some of the cultural things that could create barriers um, for for these folks in Nigeria. Like, there's several characters that are semi-literate or illiterate, um, but they have this mechanic society in this village that has created this, like, pretty comprehensive yet informal educational process for this trade where they go as far to have bosses that guide them through many years anywhere from five to seven to ten to twelve years to eventually graduate and get their you know their certificate to say that they they can now be a boss and take on their own apprentices and that whole structure of this you know artisan trade to me was so fascinating especially when they broke it down into the subsects of you know these guys over here only work on electrical engineering and these guys only do mechanical engineering and uh really cool like it was totally different than what you would experience if you wanted to become involved in those trades here in the u.s yeah and there's this whole kind of village aspect to it that was really interesting because like they have like these two little i I guess restaurants kind of like cantinas i guess would be uh more maybe of an equivalent where you know they don't they they're there morning noon and night you know they don't they don't have a reason to really leave and these guys probably like from the way that was kind of talked about like they're probably there on the weekends as well like this is their world and yeah for those apprentices too it is a it's a source of pride and also embarrassment uh when they get you know you get six months added onto your sentence essentially (laughs) it is like this is you know you're because the guy at the end was graduating to become uh, i don't even know i guess a master right like that was what was happening yeah yeah at the end you get a master and apprentice sort of sense of the word master yeah yeah they're using the word apprentice a lot but I, i i never really saw i guess they kept calling him like teacher and stuff, but like they told yeah, him he this, could be a boss. Now they did. They kept yeah. using the word boss. Yeah. And it was this huge point of pride. Like the whole, this whole little town came together in celebration and it's, it was really cool and interesting to me. I, know, I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, it's just that, that stark contrast to how I w- would experience, you know, in, in a Western nation like the United States, the process in which I would go about, becoming an engineer or working on cars 
um, mm-hmm. totally different, which is really cool. I do love, um, I have to scroll down so I can remember his name. Uh, <laughs> our main character, Ponmil. Uh, I, I do like his, his very like earnest, uh, metaphors to his to the life at which he understands that he can make to what they're experiencing so getting a year or half six months added on to your sentence as david said to him is like repeating a class um mm-hmm. and he's also not particularly good at school so maybe he's done that apparently because uh, <laughs> keep in mind like that's the reason his dad sends him here is it's it's almost like <sighs> Here in the U.S., it's like the equivalent of like sending your kid to military at camp for a day, apparently, to try to get him to straighten up and do better in school. And then, you know, spoiler alert, Ponlik ends up enjoying it and wants to come back. Uh, but that is his dad's intention, is let me show you what this artisan trade life is like, and then maybe you'll work harder in school. And, and that seems to kind of backfire on him. Yeah, I mean it's it's very clear that you know these these guys work very hard, very long hours, and yet they are not wealthy in the way that the father is, who's dropping mm-hmm. his kid off. You know, he's driving a, a very nicely maintained Peugeot, um, and so yeah, I mean his his intent is clearly to to show the kid, hey, you know, if you don't study, this is the kind of job you'll have to take because you can't do any better. And, I, you know, it's, it's one of those where it's teaching everyone who's watching a lesson that it's not as easy as it looks. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, and that's, that's a bias that's true, I think, in the United States, too, largely. That's, yeah. I think that's something that's common between our cultures is this view of vocational trades as somehow being less than, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, jobs that require a a college degree plus like graduate training of some kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's that whole part in the movie, right, when it's like, oh, you know, people who have graduated from the program you're going through, when, when they have to fix a car, they have to I can't remember how like how they phrase it, but it's like they have to go through all this work just to change a headlight. And it's like, you know, we had one of those come here to work on the car and he was totally ineffective and we were able to fix it in no time because we like had like the hands on training. So he like learns it's sort of like supplementary to his education, right? Like they're teaching him the theory, but then he goes to this and he's like, okay, here's how like it actually works. You know, he has, he has this knowledge in his head because there's the part two when he has to, when they're loosening the wheel and he displays good theoretical knowledge. Uh, but then throughout the rest of the day, it is all about him actually learning how to do these things in a way that is different from how it is on the page. Yeah. The, the, the kid playing pawn meal is the nephew of the director. And I want to throw the director's name out here. Cause I keep just saying the director, uh, Kunle, a Apologies. I think that, that's that's probably mostly right. Um, but that's, on, yeah, I would say okay. something like that. So he's uh, that's his nephew who has appeared in some of his stuff before. So not entirely foreign to being on camera. But I thought in terms of child actors we've seen on Movie Go Round, uh, I thought he was. I thought he was really. He was. He had the perfect balance of innocence. Uh, an eagerness and well, eagerness later on frustration and annoyance and poutiness at the beginning of not wanting to be there because his dad dragged him there. Um, he, he plays that line, right. And I, I actually really like the kid in it. I think he does a great job. Yeah. Yeah, so, he definitely does. I think if this had been an American movie. He, the kid would have actually been less respectful uh, to the, you know, the, the bosses he was introduced to all day to show that this kid, you know, didn't, didn't want to be there. And it would be way more, I think it would be way more obvious that, uh, Oh, he'd be a total punk. You're totally right. Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's the way America likes to play it. And then he would have had a total turnaround and change of heart by the end. (laughs) Whereas this kid's actually, you know, respectful and interested and, the only things he says that could be construed as disrespectful, um, even though he says them in a polite way, is when he points out that a mechanic is doing something incorrectly or is doing something or there might be a better way of what they're doing. 
Right. Or, or introducing them to the world of high-end sports cars, um, which, which also <laughs> oh, like, yes. which also I thought was really kind of interesting because you do have moments in this where the divide, he, you know, the, the movie says he comes from a middle-class suburb. So he technically he's not even like, like a high-class rich kid, but still he's so many levels above on, on the financial status tier in society than any of the people he's spending time with in the mechanics village. And mm-hmm. like, he knows about Bugattis because he might've seen one in real life. Whereas like these guys, that stuff just doesn't come in to, into this yard, you know, um, that exchange, uh, with Kamaru is one of my favorite in the movie because it's like oh. Kamaru's complete frustration because he thinks his kid's totally making this car up. Um, and the oh, kid no, just no, being no. totally Kamaru. It's not. No, it's it's uh, Tiri, which is the guy who's not. It it becomes clear that he's he's not a really bright guy. You know, he's You're right. Okay, he Atiri. knows some things, but he's sure he knows more than he actually does. Yeah, and right. Kam- Kamaru, you can't trust because he just he has too much time on his hands. Right. That's why he knows all the planes going That's, overhead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I keep changing our docket here because I'm trying to remember all the names. Uh, let's talk about the planes. So, uh, Kamaru, uh, he, uh, what's his, no, I said that wrong. Kamaru. Uh, Kamaru. Kamaru. Yeah. Let's talk about the, uh, the planes. He has memorized the different planes. There's a nearby air, airport and they, they land and, you know, frequently fly over and he reads all the airliner tags on them and sees like, oh, that's Air France and that's X, Y, and Z. And this becomes something that that Ponmio kind of fixates on and and mm-hmm. is like enamored with and wants to know how to do. And even at one point, another character's like, why is that any concern of me, a mechanic? Um, and then at the end of the movie, like kind of flexes on his dad about. And I'm just trying to understand the what do you guys think the significance of that is? I, I'm not sure there is one. i don't know i took it to be that uh kamaru has dreams beyond the mechanics uh village and so he's he thinks about travel he thinks about going places and that's why he's curious about the planes and has memorized you know the names of all the airlines that go over and in what order every day Mm -hmm. that could very well be it yeah, I, I, I don't know if there's an answer for that, and maybe that's the best one we can get, because I just, it, it seemed to me like there was this fixation on it, and maybe part of it's just like, these older guys are kind of cool to him, and, and, and they have these unique, you know, eccentric, like, things that each of them does, and he's latching onto those things as he's, you know, kind of little brothering around all these different, you know, sects of the mechanics village. Uh, moving on to some of our other discussion topics we have. Um, Nicole, I'm not sure what to make about the vendor for quote natural male enhancement. And to which yeah. I ask, where was that in the movie? Yeah, I also <laughs> okay. missed that. All right. So the girl who ends up um we find out that she's pregnant later. She mm-hmm. comes around to the guys and she's serving these drinks and there's this guy who's like you know a couple of the guys were like you know make sure you mix it really well make sure you mix it well and there was one guy who was like mix it well i want to scare my wife tonight oh, no. and so i took that to mean that there was something oh. in this concoction that was supposed to enhance potency for yes me. now i remember that yeah huh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what to think of that. I mean, there's a whole weird dynamic with that with that character as a whole, um, because she's 16, and <laughs> yeah, and and I and I'm assuming the guy that got her pregnant that we find out at the end of the movie is a lot older than 16. I don't know if he's a lot older. It seems like a lot of these people start their apprenticeships in their early teens. So mm-hmm. he may not be that much older than her. Um, yeah. Or at least I like to think that. I'm just going to blindly assert that he might be younger than 20. Um, yeah. There were, there were a lot of kids like around in, in 
in addition to pond meal. And it was kind of like a little difficult to ascertain. Are they also uh, apprentices or are they just hanging out with their dads or are they just village kids that are just hanging out there? I don't know. Yeah, because we have the character we haven't talked yet about of Simi um, or Simi, who is actually uh, a, a pop star in, in Nigeria, mm-hmm. a pop singer. Uh, her name is Simi. Yeah. It's Simi uh, Ogun, Ogunleye. Yikes. I, I'm bad at this. I apologize. Um, I'm pretty sure that's her name. But but she was... So when you hear her singing in the movie, she actually is a, a known for her singing. Um, in fact, she's not the only uh, Nigerian music star in this movie. There were a couple. Um, but she's in the movie as as kind of this this interesting element of the plot where I think like pawn meal starts to like realize that there's life inside of this mechanics village. And there's a, there's a lady he thinks is cute. And like, yeah, she's like, there's like an Anakin Skywalker thing going on there. She's a little bit old for him, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, and she knows that, right? Like she, it's so so the relationship there is, is very cute. Um, and she's very friendly to him. Uh, but I think she's she's part of that kind of overarching culture of, you know, she has like Simi's, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the food. They, they seem to be like wraps of some sort. You can have cheese fish oh. or just the wrap it, itself will sustain you for the guy that wants a yeah, vegetarian it's like, wrap. It's like various kinds of stews or porridges and things that you can, that you dip bread into and just eat with your fingers. Right. Um, but each of the guys orders like X amount of them. They start with an A. Yeah. Uh, he says like, oh, I want five of them. Um, but but she she uh, runs that. She doesn't run that place. Her mother runs that place. And we yes. find out at the end of the movie that, you know, none of these guys had a shot. And I'm surprised they didn't know that because the guy that did have a shot, uh, Goki, um, is the one who we see his graduation ceremony at the end of the movie. So he presumably was like in this village with everyone else i'm surprised they didn't know that he was an item with see me um but i really do like i love that ending for some reason where it's just like it's just nice and happy like the couple's together at the end and there's a very cute shot where they like come at each other and embrace and it was nice guys i liked well, it yeah and i mean there's the graduation where you see everyone's pride in their right. trade and this you know this young man's justifiable pride in completing, you know, five to seven years of difficult training and long hours and Mm -hmm. coming out with a really solid knowledge base to be able to start a business and, you know, earn a a respectable living for the, for the rest of his days, basically. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Cause it seems like, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, and uh, that's, that's part of what Simi was looking for, you know, somebody with the, with the drive to stick with it and, you know, be willing to, to try to make something of himself with this trade. Yeah. Cause this is not an easy trade. Like even going through the apprenticeship, you know, you're, you don't have guaranteed clientele. Like people are bringing their cars to the people they know and trust. So you got to start like building up, you know, you got to hope that while you're an apprentice, probably you make an impression on somebody. So when you're on your own, they're going to be like, oh, no, I'm going to go to him because I, I know him. I like kind of the way he did a little bit better. But I got to imagine like, you know, there's a lot of pride and support in this community. But then once you're out there, there's got to be like a little bit of, uh, okay, well, good luck because we're all we're all vying for our livelihood out here. And now, you know, you're one of the big fish and you got to you got to do what you got to do to survive. Yeah, you do seem to have those like recurring clientele in some form because there's there's a uh, what's his Baba Nepa, um, which is the electrician he goes and works for yeah. for a short time. Uh, has this dude roll up with um, with his bro and his two lady friends, and they're in their car, and nothing's working with the car, and he gets kind of threatening. Um, but clearly knows Nepa, like like Nepa's worked on his car before, and there seems to be an element of trust there that he now feels has been violated, and they need to fix the car. Um, you seem to have those kind of regulars that like pop through, and they and they do seem to be the kind of people who are in a very different financial tier. You know, then this guy obnoxiously goes and gets an Uber to put his posse into um, before he comes back. So 
they seem to have those people that that come to them. I think David's right. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's clearly watched like way too many American movies. Oh, for um, sure. <laughs> and and it, it shows, you know, in his ideas of what's um I don't even know. What the, <laughs> I'm not gonna put it right. You know, what's cool and what's what a mm-hmm. what a man of means uh drives and wears and who he hangs out with and he's dressed like a chad it's just like <laughs> like snapback well, <laughs> and he's got his yeah. he's got his two girls you know well, I'm, I'm not sure that it, it one of those girls is his girlfriend and one is his friend's girlfriends i got the impression that it's like they're both his girlfriends right. <laughs> kind yeah. of thing that's the was, vibe he's giving off. Yeah, and there was the part when he uh, when he was talking when like when he wanted to sound tough, you know, he would start talking in English when he was kind of threatening, mm. uh, threatening the the mechanic, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And then the uh, Obama character being like, "Oh yeah, we knew each other in Alabama," which of all places, I was like, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he saw all the Bugattis. That's right. Oh yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. Uh, another element to that character that I, I it also kind of kind of humbled me in a way and and made me kind of reassess my own internal biases that I make without realizing I'm making them is he says like oh let's call an Uber and I I I will admit I was like wait you can get Uber in Nigeria of course you get Uber in Nigeria Uber's everywhere and like it, it reminded me that like oh there are so like I yes I am so privileged in my 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 cushy Western country like the United States but. There are so many places that life goes on in very similar ways to us, and like, yes, you can call an Uber in Lagos. Um, this well, reminds at least me in the cities, yeah, Lagos in the city, is the capital, right? So. Right, and, and I don't know that that just made me kind of check my own bias a little bit and be like, oh, why wouldn't they have Uber? Um, reminded right. me a little bit of how uh, my my dad does a ton of um, of work in, in in Africa and other places, and he's traveled to Ethiopia a couple times. And he's he's always told me like oh you know the da- the downtown areas in which he goes to Ethiopia is like f- just phenomenal infrastructure and all these things that you might not expect from Ethiopia just based on your Western biases and then you get there and and it's amazing um, and obviously not all parts of these countries are like that and that is urban centers but I don't know that that little line right there made me kind of check my own biases and remind myself of that um, yeah yeah there's there's something that's come up recently that I've, I've seen a couple of articles on and that's um, something people refer to as yellow filter um, that gets put in American movies about certain foreign areas. Like if you see um, a movie about, you know, um, Mumbai or you see it, almost any movie that takes place in Africa or in Mexico city, there's, like the this they tint everything a little bit yellowish to make it look more polluted and more kind of sketchy. See and, Lord of War. See Slumdog yeah. Millionaire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's more awareness being raised about this and how this like creates cultural biases about, you know, giving an impression that a city is more dirty than it actually is and and thus maybe more backwards or you know not worth going to or um Mm. you know just making it look more oppressive and and unpleasant to be in and you know that's that's something that i'm very glad to, to that is absent from this movie this movie is you know despite taking place in some place that looks very much like a junkyard it's beautifully shot and it's mm. you know really well made and it looks uh, weirdly welcoming even though it's you know a lot it of does. yeah well yeah you, you never <laughs> yeah you never got the idea like that anybody who was driving in there thought you know they were going to get attacked or ripped off like they were right. coming there because there was a sense of trust yes yeah you know, like yeah. a very l- rich lady coming in and just like mm. peremptorily demanding service from the boss guy. <laughs> um, 
and not the apprentice. You know, she wants the higher up. So. And the wrong yeah. boss guy. That boss guy is the wrong specialization. Right. Yeah. There. Uh, I, I real quick, just with kind of what Nicole is saying with you know that filter and, and viewing stuff in a different light. Uh, I can never bring this onto the podcast because it's a TV show. Um, but there's a great show on Netflix called Somebody Feed Phil, and uh, he does a great job of not just going to the. It's a travel show, and he does a great job of not just going to the usual sort of spots that you would see on travel shows. Like it, his first episode in the latest season that's out is Marrakesh. Uh, which is in Morocco and Marrakesh is beautiful. And he shows this whole side of Marrakesh that I never would have even known really existed. Uh, so if people are interested in, in that aspect of it, of, of seeing a different side of Africa, than maybe, you know, movies and Western media is going to portray. I just want to suggest somebody feed Phil <laughs> slash. I love that show. People should just watch it in general. Yeah. This, this is a really fasc- fascinating thing to bring up because now I'm starting to think back to like movies I've seen that, portray not even just africa but like like mexico and and other areas where it's just like very yellow particularly war movies like i'm thinking of like the black hawk downs and stuff of the world that are just aggressively yellow um gosh that's fascinating all right so there are universal themes in this movie of how people from different classes tend to view academic study versus vocational training uh absolutely absolutely nicole why don't you talk a little bit about this Oh, well, I thought we covered this already. <laughs> we we kind of did, but, but, I, but I, I, thought, I thought we could center more specifically on... But, yeah, you're right. We did kind of cover this. No, but I mean, <laughs> that it, it's... But the character of the rich lady makes that clear that, that that bias exists in Nigeria as well, you know, where she's... She comes in and she knows Ponmile and she, she's shocked that he's there and she's like, does your mother know you're here? You know, have you been kidnapped? Calls his mother. Yeah. yeah. Have you been kidnapped? Calls his mother and has this conversation and we only hear her sign. She's like, uh-huh. Uh, you know, at first she's just like, what is he doing here? This is where, you know, he should be. People are taking their children, you know, on holiday to, you know, friends or whatever that. this time of year. They're not taking them to the junkyard, you know, to the mechanics <laughs> village. What's going on? And so she's like, uh-huh. 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 <laughs> Oh, 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 okay. And then she puts the phone down and she's like, okay, well, you stay here and you be respectful and you learn. And you know, yeah. she so immediately I, changes her tune. And I'm like, wow, what did he do? Yeah. I, and <laughs> I, I, cool I, I got to bring it up that I just, I love a little bit of really obvious phone acting in a movie. You know, that's oh, always bad a, too. Yeah. Oh, where it's clear there's nobody on the other end of the line, yeah. really. Yeah, they're not they're not pausing correctly, or like the, what they're saying is like you don't talk that way when you're on the phone. He did what? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> no, 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 no one does that. No. <laughs> yeah, but I, one thing I will give this movie is that you know uh, there's a lot of folks in this movie where you can tell that this is maybe the first time they've been in a movie. Um, it seems like there there might even be. An element, and I'm, I, I have no confirmation of this, but it does seem like there may be an element of just casting some folks that might already be in in this mechanics village in some capacity, especially because it is a real village. I thought, by and large, aside from like some awkward English translations, which is of no fault of the actors, or some you know funny movie phone talk, pretty darn good. Like I, I felt yes. emotionally captivated by so many of these characters. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of moments uh, that aren't great. Like, I think that Ponmeal does a pretty good job overall, but like his delivery of his lines at the end were a little bit stiff. Um, and I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of it. Overall, I thought everyone seemed like they were doing a really, really good job. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, now, Nicole, you mentioned in our pre-show uh, one problematic character. And you didn't put it in our docket, but I wanted to bring it up because I know you had some thoughts. Uh, I don't even, I'm not even sure how to talk about it because it's, it's something that I stopped and I realized that it's, it's not something that's really, that people have gotten really up in arms about before like the last five years in the US, which is people who, do not have disabilities playing people with disabilities. And there's one character who is 
we're not entirely sure till the end. You know, he's either had a traumatic brain injury or he's developmentally disabled in some other way. Um, and I'm, you know, 99% sure that the actor playing him is not disabled and it's kind of, you know, and I was, I was going to be really upset about that. And then I realized that it's, it's not, it's something that's been, I'm not going to say it hasn't been a thing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it's been heard as a murmur in the United States for a long while, but it's really, people have really started to get angry about it and demanding changes about it in like the last five or so years in the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, and getting upset yeah. with non-trans people playing transgender characters or you know, people who are not wheelchair users playing people who do use wheelchairs and, you know, bringing that to the forefront. It's like, yeah, they might do a great job in this role, but you're, you're taking a role from an actor who could actually do this with lived experience behind it. Right. Yeah. That that reminds me not to the, the same degree, but there was, um, Oh man, I'm now forgetting the actor's name. Um, he was in. Uh, he played Sulu and Redmayne. Movie- no, Eddie Redmayne. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh John Cho. John Cho uh, was talking about how he used to celebrate whenever he would get cast in a role that you know was was written. Either the race was ambiguous, or was written for a white guy, and he would you know he used to think like, yeah, that's you know that's a win for uh, for Asian actors. But over time, he came to realize like no, what I should be advocating for and celebrating is when more Asian act, Asian characters are written. Mm, uh, interesting. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting, not, not, not quite the same. Um, I think Nicole's pointing to a, to a really interesting thing that's been glossed over a lot. And like she said, it's getting more attention to it now. Um, but that was just something, that's just what that made me think of. Yeah. So, so a comment and a question. Uh, Representation. I, right. Yes. <laughs> So, so I, one thing I, I do feel, and Nicole mentioned this, you can get someone with lived experience. I feel like we are hopefully finally starting to realize a little bit in Hollywood that you can get someone who, ha- who is de- developmentally challenged. You know, Peter Butter Falcon is an amazing movie. And, and, uh, and I can't imagine anyone else in that role. Um, yeah. Well, and there was, a, there was a television show that, that you yeah. know, called Life Goes On that starred a, a man with Down syndrome in the central role. And that, Mm -hmm. that was, that went on for several years and he did a wonderful, you know, he, he played the role wonderfully. And, you know, that's, I, one would have hoped that that would have proved that (laughs) more roles could be written for people with (laughs) down syndrome and uh, various developmental disabilities, but people still, shied away from it or were like well you know for insurance purposes we want to get somebody who i don't know they so open (laughs) a lot of excuses basically for sure so i'm gonna open up a whole separate can of worms here just for a moment because let's let's be honest this movie doesn't have that much to talk about um (laughs) we're we're almost through our discussion topics uh so let's say I'm trying to think of a good example. A mo- okay, movie like Rain Man, uh, yeah. lauded critically. Dustin Hoffman does not have any form of autism. Uh, plays that character, wins an Oscar. If that is to come out today, what do you think the reaction is? No, he owed. I think so. <laughs> yeah, it would have it would have gotten a lot of uh, a lot of scrutiny and a lot of attack, and probably rightfully so. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I was just curious because relating it back to this movie, I don't, I don't know what the the purpose of the. I don't know if you're if you're going to cast someone to play a, a disabled character who does not have that disability, which seems like it might be the case here. Um, make the make the character have some sort of point to the story. 
Like, it seems like the character could not be in it. It seems like he's entirely superfluous. There's one kind of like wink and a nod at the very end. Like, he's the one that screwed up a a car that um, everyone was confused on how the car got screwed up. And we got a really unnecessary flashback to him actually doing it. Um, Other than that, though, he doesn't do anything for the script. Like, give give him purpose if you're going to even walk down that road. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I I totally get what you're saying. He was sort of the, I think the only roles he played were as the sort of, not quite the deus ex machina at the end, but like the the neat little bow to um, ending the mystery Mm -hmm. of why this car was, had problems. Um, But also he was supposed to be uh, the guy where, Obama had dropped a a half engine, whatever the heck a half engine is, dropped a half engine on his head. <laughs> I think that might have been a translation problem. Because he liked um, Simi, right. Because Yeah, because he liked Simi and he would flirt with her. But I mean, you'd think we'd have gotten a clue when you see him in the canteen later. And he's, he's still flirting with Simi, you know, <laughs> and she's flirting back with him. Um. And nobody says anything, and it doesn't seem to upset anyone that he does. So one would have thought that would have, you know, made people question the story that Obama arranged to have the engine fall on his head as punishment for being a romantic rival. Well, well, but who told him that story, though? It was... uh, It was a couple of the other... Well, yeah, I, I, I... I took that. It was, that. One, I took one, that it was one of the guys fighting over Simi. Yes, that's what I was yeah. going to say. Uh, but, but I also took that a little bit to be a little bit of a like, "Hey, kid, you're giving me the headlighter fluid thing." Maybe where it's like, th- "This is <laughs> this is the story that we tell, but it's not necessarily you know, it's not necessarily the truth." And like, we know it's not the truth, but it's like we're kind of playing with you a little bit, kid. I, I do love that about the character of, of Obama. You know, the man, the myth, legend in this movie, he seems to ha- have the most animated personality of anyone in this village. Uh, and, uh, I know we've already mentioned him about the, Bug- the Bugattis and, and his Alabama uh, living before he got, you know, sent out by Trump. Uh, but I, I find him to be one of the more delightful characters. I really enjoyed Obama. <laughs> yeah, he's, he- no, he's definitely fun. <laughs> oh, the, the the whole discussion at the beginning about like who is the real champions of the World Cup and uh, also uh, yeah. also like a really Actually, interesting really interesting discussion right yeah in the really interesting discussion as well of like well you know they have their roots in these African countries but like they were born and bred in France so it's like are they French or it's like is this can we claim this as a win for Africa and it's like that's a really interesting discussion I, I really love to hear you guys having that. Uh, and I also just thought, I thought just, I was totally surprised first seeing him because I was like, oh, they have a person with albinoism in the movie. That's like, that was and they a don't bit make surprising. a thing of it. Like, yeah, like it's brought yeah, up. Nobody mentioned it. Right. And, <laughs> and you think this, like, in a lesser movie or in a movie where these guys are, you know, you know, busting each other's chops more than these guys do, maybe that would be something that they, that they would bring up. But no, they don't make a thing of it. Uh, this was part of a acquisition push Netflix made in 2019 uh, to get a lot more African films made by African directors in Africa. Uh, I have not seen some of the others, but I, I had a list that I was going to throw in our, in our show doc um, or at least in our show notes for the listeners. It seems like Netflix really was pushing hard for these acquisitions uh, last year in particular. I think largely because Netflix has reached a, from an economic perspective, they've reached saturation in the u.s like you need to harness these other markets and if you can have homegrown content particularly content where you don't have to fight over licenses in those countries i think financially probably makes a lot of sense but i think also hopefully opens up the door for a lot of really creative people in other countries that don't have a platform like westerners do to get their movies on netflix and hopefully seen by you know three white people like us on movie go round so uh, I, i just thought that was cool People crap on Netflix, you know, because like all their stuff's getting taken off by other services who want to go then make their own service and spread us all super thin. But I think Netflix has done some really smart stuff with their with like their foreign licensing where it's like, hey, that movie wouldn't come here anyway. 
will buy it probably for like fairly cheap, but it's like, there's some money for you. And now, like you said, it gets a bigger audience and more people get to see it. Like there's a bunch of stuff that I wouldn't have seen from other countries and other parts of the world because Netflix was like, yeah, sure. We'll pick it up for dirt cheap. Yeah. And I want to just call out a couple of these in case folks are interested. Um, around this time, they were also doing some acquisitions. They acquired South Africa's first original series, Queen Sono. Uh, they got a recent movie that was very popular called Blood and Water. And then they got a movie called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, which actually has a name I know, um, which I'm still going to butcher. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor? How do I pronounce that, Nicole? Ejiofor. Ejiofor. Um, who we've seen... Have we seen him in a movie before on Movie Go Round? I Serenity? Have. I don't know about Movie Go Round, but... Okay, but but he's great. Um, so, but but he's in, in that. And then they also um, acquired, obviously, the rights to this and a couple other movies and TV shows. So, like, the first South African original series, Queen Sono. Like, that, that's pretty darn cool. Yeah, I'm just a little bit surprised we haven't somehow seen Kinky Boots on this podcast now. Huh. <laughs> don't bring it up. Mm-hmm. It's going <laughs> to... I man, haven't seen it. <laughs> man, now I'm just, just going down a weird rabbit hole here. Queen Sono <laughs> is a six-part action-packed spy thriller where we follow Thusi playing the title role, uh, Pearl Thusi, South Africa's very own, working for an undercover South African agency devoted to protecting African people. Hmm. That sounds hmm. kind of cool. Cool. So, yeah, I just wanted to call that out. This seemed like something that Netflix is pushing for harder. And obviously I think there's two ends to that coin. One is financial and one is um, it's really great PR to be able to say you're, you know, acquiring a bunch of international stuff and being that platform. But if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. And I'm glad that it's available for people like us. Um, Let's close out talking about Pawn Meal's decision at the end. He does come to his dad and decide that he wants to work his vocation here at the village on the weekends and holidays. And then he wants to go back to school, presumably with a newfound rigor to do well um, and not flunk out uh, as he seemed to be doing. And um, his dad's shocked uh, on all counts that this happens in a day, as Nicole pointed out in the beginning of our show. (laughs) Um, It's cute. (laughs) I don't know what more I have to say about it. It's cute. What do you guys think? I yeah, thought, I mean, it's... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. I was going to say, I thought it was a smart decision on his part. I thought that it's going to help him probably get ahead, and or at least, you know, if he's, if he's struggling behind, it's going to help him stay where other people are because it's giving him... It's supplementing his education. Yeah, absolutely. I th- no, you're right. And, and particularly if he decides to... He seems aware in the in the movie that there are you know, degrees you can go through like mechanical engineering. And that seems to be something he might be interested in, but you know, much to the point of the character he's talking to at that point. Yeah. But all those guys need a consultant to change a light bulb because they don't have this real world experience you're getting here. So I think you're right. Like he might get both ends of that coin. Good on you, Paul Neal. (laughs) I, I really liked, um, you know, the conversation that he has with Simi, I thought was really interesting. It's, it's, I think it's about like two thirds of the way through the movie. And, um, you know, the contrast is that Simi loves music, but doesn't feel like she can do it. And she hates catering, but she works in her mother's canteen. And, you know, Ponle loves working with his hands and, doesn't really like to study that much but he's never actually had the the hands-on the chance for hands-on experience before you know um and she see me tells him that whether he chooses studying or learning to become a mechanic a mechanic both are options of hard work so you know i think that's something that he really get that really gets driven home is that he's whichever way he decides to go he's really going to have to focus and i think he discover you know realizes that there are he can sort of enhance both by getting some of each mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i i do think in the final scene 
we all would have been better off without the, how did you know what kind of plane that was when he calls it out to his father? And it's just like, <laughs> wink and a nod, breaks the fourth wall, does like finger guns at you and says, experience. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Not quite that, but it might as well be. <laughs> Little much. It pushed it overboard. Um, it's it's cute, though. I, I, I do think that this movie yeah. is... You know what it what it might lack in some substance, though. I I do think if it, at least if you have the reaction to it that I did, it, it makes up for in just seeing a culture very unlike what you're familiar with in many capacities. And for that, I really did enjoy it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Same. Any yeah, other closing thoughts on this? I don't know. It's just nice to have a. <sighs> A nice. I've I've seen a lot of movies from foreign countries that are nice and you know have have a good heart to them, but are not necessarily well made. And that's usually just the the fact that the filmmaker just did not have enough money to make the movie to you know uh, more standard Western expectations, I guess I would say. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, this is it. It's nice to have my, I'm glad to have my horizons broadened. I'm glad to have my preconceptions challenged about what kind of movie I was going to see. You know, I was wondering if it was going to be kind of more amateurish seeming, but no, this is a very professional and steady hand, and it really it makes me really excited to explore more Nigerian films, which Netflix has a bunch of, um, and they're, I think it's well worth checking them out. Yeah, I'll, I'll second what Nicole said. I definitely I think I had that thought a little bit, too, where I, I worried it was going to feel a little bit like, okay, these are these are you know, like they're, they're obviously really trying, but you know, they're trying to meet different standards than maybe what they have the capacity for, but they played their hand exactly to what they, what they had available to them. Uh, sort of like, a uh, an Eldorado, uh, once upon a time in Mexico sort of thing. Uh, and it just, it turned out to make a, a film that, as we all said at the end, it was like, that was really nice. <laughs> Regarding that that level of quality, which I too was really like pleasantly surprised at, uh, this director shot on a Canon C three hundred Mark II, which is a cinema quality camera that he actually worked with Canon on. Um, and they made, to my understanding, they either made some adjustments to the camera or um, did something a little bit different with it, where that particular model allows for additional flexibility, uh, both in, in how you're shooting and how you can do post-production. And um, my understanding is that like the way it, the way it shoots color allows you to go into what they call gamma mode in post-production um, to pull out the highlights and the lowlights in different ways in a way that, a, you know, a cinema camera would do, but, in a much more compact size. You know, this is a, an EOS camera from Canon, which you can hold in your hand um, easily. It's not that big. It's like the size of a normal DSLR, but they're really expensive. Um, and so much so that, that Canon Africa on their Instagram actually has like photos of the shooting of this movie um, to show like someone using that camera in that kind of setting. Uh, so kind of a neat, if you're a camera geek on that side was filmed in a very unique way. So Right on. Well, very good. Uh, Mokalik, definitely check it out. It seems like across the board, it's definitely something that's worth your time if this discussion has piqued your interest. Uh, Next week, we're going to be visiting a different culture. We're going to be visiting uh, the Mexican culture with Coco, right, David? That's right. All right. You will check that out. As of right now, it is uh, streaming on Netflix. And again, David has picked that for new to two, not new to two future classics uh let's go around the table see where we can find everybody online uh david we'll start with you is there any cool new projects and rss feeds that people should subscribe to by the time this is out uh, hit me one more time as my brand new podcast that has been going for a little bit now so it'd mean a whole lot to me for people to check that out and subscribe and rate and blah 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 everything else just find me on twitter davluz d-a-v-l-u-z 
Very, very good. What about you, Nicole? Uh, well, I don't have any outside projects unless you count uh, mask making or playing house flipper to an insane degree. Um, but I do take care of our <laughs> Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast, and we more than welcome your input and questions there. Absolutely. And you can also email the show, hi, H-I, at mgrpodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. And of course, if you want to go over to that website, mgrpodcast.com, you can read all the show notes. I know they're in your podcatcher, but you can read them there. You can click all the links. You can see all the different photos and stuff we have up. There's a lot of cool content over there for you to check out. But that will do it for myself, David and Nicole. We will be back next week with future classics. We're watching Coco. Coco.